0: Hi guys welcome to my move and inspire podcast my name is sophie dear i'm a yoga teacher a health and happiness warrior and like you i'm constantly doing my best to navigate this crazy world that we live in my mission is to spread the zest that i have for life to each and every one of you and give you the chance to feel empowered strong connected healthy and above all happy I will be interviewing some kick-ass and inspirational people to motivate you to create transformations in order to live your best possible life. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sophie. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, So just to give like a little intro. um, So Sarah is a qualified Western medicine acupuncturist and a physio in obstetric, gynae, and pelvic health. And her passions are improving pelvic health awareness and keeping mums to be fit. Wow, that's quite a, quite a lot to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm, a, I'm a, like a sports physio. That's where I started. Um, but then I got into women's health about four years ago and decided to make that my passion. But when it comes to the body, you just can't discount anything, and so I make sure I train myself in pretty much every system of the body so that when somebody comes to see me it's I'm not just looking at their muscles and their bones or their fannies um, I'm looking at you know their brain and their every other system in the body, like I want to do a lymphatic uh, training soon because they have a huge role in the way that our bodies heal. Um, so it's never ending. <laughs> that list is going to get longer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's it's like with a lot of what we do when it's anything to do with the body, right? You can just,
1: you can learn and learn and learn and learn. Absolutely. And you can't compartmentalize anything um, when you're looking at somebody because everything counts. Nothing works in isolation and um that's the whole body not just muscles everything has an effect on something else and on and on and on and on and on so yeah I'm a bit obsessed obsessed with the old vessel that we reside in
0: oh I feel like we're gonna have heaps to talk about I've um you you might not know but like I've well this is gonna sound really creepy but I've been like watching you on social media for a while now because I've always known that you're um so my teacher, Cel, Celeste, I've always known that you guys have done stuff together and that Are you still housemates?
1: No, I, I moved out about six weeks ago. So yeah, me and, me and Celeste, oh, my Celeste, we've known each other for like over 10 years. We did our dissertation together for physiotherapy and um, just had an absolute blast and still do. Um, and we lived together for three years. And, yeah, I moved out all of my own six weeks ago. <laughs> but as we oh. said, it's like we're in contact, like, regularly, daily, because we, we're in the same sort of field. We've got really similar mindset in terms of where we want to go. And, um, and I think you're probably the same, Sophie. Um, and, yeah, she's played a huge role in, in my life. Oh,
0: I feel like I just, I knew we'd vibe because of the, the cell connection. And also because like, I love when I watch your videos and anything you do with cell as well, like you just always make me laugh because when you're discussing what can be like quite a taboo subject, I just love that you get right to the bottom of it and that you're able to explain things in such an accessible and lighthearted way. That
1: brings me absolute joy and a little lump in my throat because that's exactly what I wanted from me sharing stuff. Is like humour is a huge thing for me. Like I'm a clown. That's how me and Celeste got to know each other because we just made each other laugh all the time throughout quite a hard time in our life going through our dissertation. And I just think laughter is the key to getting people to talk about things and making people realize that what is a taboo taboo subject in on this earth um, can be spoken about in a really lighthearted way. And you know, it happens to all of us. And I, and I guess that kind of nothing happens in isolation thing counts for human beings as well. You're not the only one. This isn't just happening to you. It's happening to lots of people. And the more you talk about it, the more people realize that. And so, yeah, I love that you've um, said that to me. And I love the thought of you stalking my videos on Instagram.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's me. Being, a, being your little stalker without you even realising it.
1: <laughs> I love it. And that brings me joy. It all brings me so much joy. I love sharing what I share and, and also just the fact that I make people laugh. That is my number one. Number one, make people laugh. And number two, uh, educate and empower.
0: That's super cool. So I just want to, I want to dive straight in and I'm going to use some of the language that I've heard you use. So um, I want to ask you, why do you believe we should be talking about, well, talking more about fannies, boobs, willies
1: and bums? Because <laughs> nobody talks about it, do they? It's so weird. I'm, I'm watching this thing on Netflix at the moment about uh, sex in different countries and cities in the world. And it's actually, I'm like, I can't believe I stumbled across it because I, I just, I love talking about things that nobody speaks about. And, and it is, I mean, they spoke about how, obviously, as um, in the Victorian times, we went and took over loads of places in the world, horrendous. Um, and back then, you know, it was never, sex was a huge thing, but you were not allowed to talk about it or say that you were doing it or even say that you were enjoying it. Um, and it seemed from this program that we kind of stripped lots of this the openness around sex away from people like in um, uh, the Arab world there's loads of 500 year old books um, talking about sex and then in India and um, the Kama Sutra and all of those and then in in China I think it was that they had these really explicit drawings and as soon as Um, the white people came in. They thought, oh, they're not going to agree with that. Let's take them down and hide them. And so then sex was like totally covered up. And it was something like that you would never even talk about. It was behind closed doors. And so that kind of, I guess, laid the road for people not talking about their fannies, their bums, their boobs, their willies, their anything. And so it's this huge kind of underground... Issue like massive issue that has now fast forward all these years where for me now I see women mostly um, uh, in in my clinic and going through pregnancy and birth and struggling because it's not spoken about it's not educated on enough and you know and even just when it comes to, to sex people just don't know What's going on? Because again, like sex education is absolutely shit. Um, Particularly in this country, I don't know what it's like around the rest of the world, but from what I saw in this program on Netflix, it's even worse in some other places in the world. Um, And so we're just not in tune with that part of our bodies. And that's the part of our bodies that creates life. And so it just blows my mind... Um, And so I, I want to be a voice and someone that people can hopefully relate to, listen to, learn from, and then start their own little journey of exploration into self. And that's my huge thing is exploring yourself, because this is all we have control over is ourselves, our own thoughts, um, how we go about our lives. That's, you know, I think I quote this quote a lot. And the last um, ma- the last bit of freedom that we have on this planet is our own choices and how our choices that me- we make about thoughts that we have in our head. That is, that is pure freedom, right? Everything else is a bit kind of controlled. Um, and so that's why I want to, yeah, I guess liberate people a little bit and, and exploring a part of our bodies that we deserve to enjoy. So
0: cool that you say all that. And I feel like... Um... There's so many things I want to pick up on what you said. Firstly, um, when you talk about people having problems to do with their, I'm guessing you're talking about to do with their pelvic floor and, I mean, other issues. And are you saying that because they just are not educated enough in how to prevent these problems in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think it's just that for for me, what I see is pregnancy is taken really lightly uh, and it shouldn't be. And the rehab isn't there, the education isn't there, like what's happening to your body over a nine-month period and then what's happening to your body over the period of labour and birthing and then that kind of um, initial postnatal, I mean postnatal, You're once you've given birth, you're always going to be postnatal, right? And it's just taken so lightly and I don't know whether it's because of the fact that we're seen to be the um people that in in this world women um that deal with pain, we are the people that give birth um if you have a if you do have a womb and you are able to give birth, and that's painful um I don't know there's just it's there's a lot of stuff to unpick there as to why we've gotten to this point where it's just oh well, you know you're pregnant and you're going to give birth and then that's it. That's it. That's all we say. There's no, there's nothing else. It's not really, it's just not taken as heavily as it should be. There's massive change that your body's going to go through and all of the mental health around that as well. I think there's, it's, it's a lot deeper um, and there's loads to unpick with it, but it is, it is just around education um and just taking it far too lightly
0: yeah I do you know what I remember I did my um uh pre and postnatal yoga training I want to say like three years ago and we had a midwife um come in and talk to us about the process uh you know the different trimesters the actual process of labor and then what happens um you know once you've given birth and I mean I I was like one of the only people in the room asking like a hundred questions because I was so shocked how little I knew. And I'm someone who's pretty in tune with my body, but I realized like as a woman, I had no idea about the process of so much of it. And it really shocked me actually. It really scared me that I just was so in the dark and I could, you know, I could be pregnant any moment and I'd be like, that sounds quite funny that I just said that. But do you know what I mean? Like as we're, as women you just feel like um we should know so much more about the subject
1: absolutely and we should know more about our own bodies and our own minds and that 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 needs to be healthy as well and the even just the getting pregnant and it's you know I hear all of these horror stories of of people not being able to get pregnant and that and it is so much deeper than what we realize, and going through i v f and all of this and just the hormones and the systems of the body that need to be playing a part to be able to get you pregnant in the first place it's just it's just not there, and i don't know it just i it frustrates me so much um, because it is it's a huge undertaking. your body goes through so many changes, and then Almost immediately after birth, we're expected to snap back and get back to it. And then you've got a baby to, that ever growing baby to also take care of and then be expected to start work at some point. You know, it's, a, it's massive. It really is massive and such a problem. And yeah, I'm just working my way through it all and seeing how I can help to unpick the whole situation so yeah constantly learning myself as well but um but yeah it's huge totally totally under educated so let's go into
0: some education can you talk us through the pelvic floor
1: yes absolutely so the pelvic floor is a group of muscles um at the bottom of the pelvis at the floor essentially Um, And it kind of mirrors your diaphragm. So they're both diaphragms, essentially. You've got your pelvic diaphragm and then your um, diaphragm of your thorax, which helps, makes you breathe. Um, Your pelvic floor is made up of a group of muscles. So it's not just one muscle working. It's a group of muscles and they're kind of mirrored from one one side to the other. Um, There's actually three layers um, in the um, pelvic floor, external and internal pelvic floor muscles. The external pelvic floor muscles are more to do with like sexual function and things like that. And the internal ones are what help control your wheeze and your poos, along with particularly the back passage. There's a few sphincters going on there, which are more autonomic and less under your control. But what we can control are the pelvic floor muscles, um, and they are what are going to stop you from farting when you don't want to pooing when you don't want to and weeing when you don't want to essentially but they are working constantly all day every day because if they weren't you'd just be shitting and pissing and farting everywhere and um, (laughs) that would be awful we'd all be wearing those adult nappies that I hate (laughs) and they so we can consciously control as well just like any other muscle in the body you know you can tense your bicep muscle if you think about it you can tense your Thigh muscle in in your thigh, your thigh muscle in your thigh, your quad muscle in your (laughs) thigh, if you think about it. But then also your biceps and your thigh muscles, your biceps and your quads are working without you thinking about it as well. So every time you think, right, I'm going to get up and walk to the fridge and see what's in there for the hundredth time today. Your, your, your muscles just work without you thinking. You get up and then you start walking and it is just a reflex, essentially. It's something that you were taught when, or you learned, sorry, when you were a baby and now you just walk and you don't think quads, glutes, hands rotate through the trunk, you know, all of this kind of stuff. You just don't think about it. And so the pelvic floor is exactly the same as that. It has a certain way that it engages along with the other group of muscles in the core, which are... The transverse abs, which is what everyone calls the big corset. It comes from your the huge thoracolumbar fascia in the back there, wraps around underneath the ribs and down the front of the pelvis to the pubic bone and up towards your sternum there, the ziffy sternum. And it joins at the linear alba, which is that kind of um, what everyone sees as the diastasis. We all kind of have a diastasis, even if we haven't had babies. It's just that that's a piece of tissue that joins one side to the other um, in our abdomen and and it allows for rotation and and cross body flexion as well Um, and flexion and extension too that's why you have that six pack right with the kind of nodules is so that you can move your abdomen in all different directions and also your diaphragm's part of that core And also in really deep muscles of the spine, the multifidus, they're part of your core as well. And that kind of makes up like a cylinder pelvic floor at the bottom, diaphragm at the top, transverse abs wrapping around from the back to the front. And then your deep muscles of of your spine multifidus and they all kind of work um, in anticipation of your movement. So whenever you go to move, they're already on and they're already stabilizing you. And I say stabilizing in inverted commas because they're not giving you a a stable core in terms of a fixed core. They're not fixing you. They're they're dynamic. So they're making sure that they're switched on to allow for movement. So they're not actually um, gripping, like uh, bracing your core. They're switching on in a pattern of movement to allow for you to be able to mobilize your center and but still be stable so it's actually really 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 complex and and it means more for rather than having a stable um braced center it's a functional dynamic center that you want from your core muscles and so that's where I'm trying to go with a lot of my other colleagues and my amazing teachers that's where we're trying to move forward is away from this embracing embracing just bracing your core and then moving it's actually letting the core do its work and you just go for it so in terms
0: of like what you're saying about how um obviously there's a certain amount of the 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 muscles are switched on for you to be able to perform your everyday tasks and for us to not wee and poo and so on But we also need to be training this muscle, right? It's like any other muscle. We need to be training it and we need to have that uh, connection to it uh, with our brain, which often is we have a disconnection, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. To a a certain extent. It's it's not like if your pelvic floor, um, it's really complex because... If you did have issues, certainly you would know about it. So if you were leaking, like even if you didn't have children and you jumped on a trampoline and you leaked a bit or you were doing high knees or star jumps or tuck jumps and you were leaking, that's not normal. And so I would say you need to go and get that sorted. And for the most part, it's to do with the pressure in the abdomen and the chest. It's not like, because I think we need to come away from this thinking of you must have a really strong pelvic floor to be able to do these things that's not the case um you could do pelvic floor and the research has shown and a lot of my teacher, teachers the reason why they teach what they teach is because they themselves have had pelvic floor issues and done pelvic floor muscle exercises like until they were blue in the face, but yet still would leak when they were doing their lunges and squats in the gym. So even though on examination, they were having a, a strong pelvic floor, really good long holds, the, you know, the brain pelvic floor connection is there, like they're getting that nice um, kind of control where, where you're able to not isolate essentially, but you've just got that control from back to front. Hold and then front to back, and you're able, you're, you're there, the brain's down in there, but still, there's something going on in that set of muscles that every time you're, say, doing an exercise or jumping up and down, it's still not switching on in the right way or it's um, not able to manage the pressure that's on it. And so, it's actually a lot more complicated than whether you've got a weak or a strong pelvic floor um, as to how it's going to perform when you're actually functional um, doing whatever you do on a regular basis um, so I would I would give someone pelvic floor exercises if I did an internal exam and I felt that they weren't quite recruiting the muscles as they should be and I would give them for a certain amount of time and then we'd have to start doing more functional stuff and that is the same for any muscle group in the body if you are if you had a surgery or a tear in a muscle or something like that, you would certainly go through a phase of doing exercises where you're recruiting slowly up that muscle, getting that brain muscle um, connection back up. But then you would move from doing those exercises into doing more functional things and slowly loading, loading, lo- loading, and then whatever task-specific exercise that they wanted to have as a wanted to achieve as a goal then you would slowly load up to that. And the pelvic floor is exactly the same. You know, like if someone had a tear in their calf, you certainly wouldn't just make them do loads of calf raises with the bent knee and the straight knee um, and all of that kind of loading and then load it up with weights and then let them go if they were wanting to go and play tennis or go for a run again. You'd actually have to then move on to doing more like uh, functional like ballistic things and changes of direction and deceleration, acceleration, and the pelvic floor is exactly the same. That's
0: super interesting because there's so much talk about, you know, making sure you do your, they call kegels. I want to say that word.
1: Yeah, everyone understands kegels a bit more. When I say pelvic floor exercises, they're like, huh? I'm like kegels. Like, ah, okay, yeah, kegels. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's, and again, it's really weird, because, and I was in this kind of group of people that were initially like, yeah, just do your pelvic floor exercises for the rest of your life. It's like, well, we don't do that for the rest of the body. So why do we do that for pelvic floor? Why do we just stop at, yeah, you can hold for 10 seconds, and you've got 10, you can do 10, five out of five reps. You know, like, why should that be the end of your rehab when it comes to the pelvic floor? When? If you have had a kid, you're picking up an ever-growing lump, you know, like baby, toddler, and then however long, you know, picking this kid up, you're doing squats with a with a weight, an ever-growing weight. You're, you know, whatever it is you're doing, and your pelvic floor is expected to do that just on having five out of five power and ten seconds holds. And so, I think that's where things are changing a little bit in the pelvic health world in terms of what is expected from a pelvic floor and it has to be functional it can't just be what power have you got and what endurance have you got it's got to be it's more than that I really like that as well because like for um for
0: my the way I teach yoga I try to make it a a lot more functional rather than just like doing the same moves all over you know over and over again and so it it just makes a lot of sense to me like Yes, that's, um, and I really hadn't thought about the pelvic floor like that, but of course, it makes total sense. So one thing I want to ask, because I feel like um, people might be nervous to go and do this, and it's actually something that I had planned to do before I came to Bali, but I, it, it would definitely be on top of my list when I come back home. But what actually happens when you get your pelvic floor checked out, and should everyone be doing this, or should you only be doing it if you're thinking about having a baby, or if you're pregnant, um, like maybe you could talk us through a little bit about that
1: yeah do you know what I I usually if, when somebody comes in for, for a, a women's health assessment I'll always check their pelvic floor but usually now I'm just I think if is it necessary to do pelvic floor examination like are you having actual pelvic floor issues that I need to see what's going on Um, Is there something that I need to be doing manual therapy wise in inside your vagina that would need me to be able to feel what's going on with my with my finger and then and then work on it? I now I'm really thinking like, is this necessary? And I did a mummy MOT yesterday for someone who's a personal trainer and a mummy MOT is an hour assessment where I literally check everything head to toe. And and usually there's a, a internal exam with that as well. but the person that I was doing the mummy IoT on was having absolutely no symptoms whatsoever with anything in terms of bladder, bowel, pain, no pelvic floor symptoms that would make me feel like, right, I need you to completely strip off and then let me have a look at your pelvic floor. And I, and I feel like if, if somebody wants one, I will do the internal exam. Um, But usually I will make the decision and say, actually, I really need to see what's going on in your pelvic floor because things aren't adding up right. And yeah, I've got someone booked in who's got huge coccyx pain after having a baby and things just aren't clearing up. And this is like 19 weeks postnatal. So that to me, I'm like, I need you to come into the clinic and I need to do an internal exam and find out exactly what's going on with the pelvic floor to see where we need to, if there's work that needs to be done, or if there's any like uh, activation that I need to increase on maybe one side or whatever. So that is where I would say you would definitely need a pelvic floor uh, assessment. I wouldn't say that everybody needs one if you're not having um, any particular symptoms. And, and, and so, but what it includes is me with my gloves on <laughs> Um testing sensation all the way from the knee down to the um labia majora just to make sure that the nerves that are going to those places are intact um and then I have a look with my eyes I get you to do a cough and I look at the vaginal entrance and see if anything's coming down so particularly if you're having a prolapse symptoms like heaviness and dragging I would say right yeah I need to have a look and see what's going on there um, for sure, and then I have a look with just one finger, and so I just I check the entrance, see how strong those muscles are, and see what's going on, um, and then I go a little bit deeper and I look at the muscles all the way from the tailbone around the front, both sides, feeling for any areas of soreness, um, because you can get trigger points that might need releasing, just like any other muscle. Um, And then testing for the strength. And I test from side to side and see if there's any discrepancies from side to side. And we usually go on a power scale. It's the Oxford scale out of five, five being normal or, you know, what is normal. Um, It's difficult to know because what, what was the pelvic floor like before, particularly after birth. But anyway, and then I test for endurance and then I test Um, to see if there's control and that's good for brain training essentially to be like right can you control from the back passage up and then from the front passage down Uh, and then and then I give exercises dependent on what I feel it's like yeah any other loading overloading exercise for a muscle pelvic floor exercises three times a day every day or every other day and then you know i don't usually check again and for the most part people say right i can really feel things are getting stronger and then i'll just move on to doing functional things and then when it comes to the functional things then that will be the body telling me why whether it's able to manage the pressure and the intensity and the stress of moving and, and exercising, so that's the internal exam.
0: I think for me, it's like uh, because yeah, I'm fascinated by the body. I just wanted to come and do it. I just think it would be super interesting. But also, yeah, when come I, back and see me. Yeah, I also feel like something that interests me, which I'd love you to talk about, is not just like um, so for a lot of people, it's like a weakness in the pelvic floor, but also. People hold on too much, right? They find it hard to relax the pelvic floor.
1: Yeah, everyone, everyone, not even just pelvic floor. Abs is the most common um, muscle for everybody to kind of brace. And, and that's just because either it's just a way for your body to find stability. So it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just your, the way that your body has learned to be able to cope with whatever you're doing because our bodies are absolutely amazing and they will get you up every single day, no matter what, unless, you know, you've broken a bone or something and you can't walk on it. Um, But otherwise with the way that our brains work is our brains just want to keep you going to get to the next, to the next, to the next. And so it will give your body signals to pick up where something's lacking um, and make sure that you're able to do whatever it is that you're doing. And so it picks up strategies. Your brain learns ways of getting you through doing whatever it is you're um, wanting it to do. Um, and so it's not, yeah, it's not doing a disservice. It's actually serving you so well. But at some point, those strategies, there will come a, t- a time where those strategies won't be able to serve you any longer. And it will show up in injuries or leaking or you know other things you know and it will be a a long history to unpick of your of your brain learning new things new strategies to be able to get you through Um, but abs is the the most common thing that I see with pelvic floor dysfunctions in that um we brace them a lot and, and I think we teach that a bit too much. And even I'm guilty of that. Like I hold my hands up. I, when we, you know, we just do what we can with what we know, right? And we're just doing the best to our knowledge when we're training people. Um, but now I realize, and the research has shown and or, or through experience of seeing it, that actually telling people to brace their core whilst doing exercises is, is um, not helping, not helping them. Um, and so that's something that I'm having to teach people to unlearn because we all do it. We all stand there and hold our bellies in, or we all do a lunge and think that we're going to get more balance if we hold our bellies in. And yeah, that has a huge effect on how the body manages pressure in our abdomen.
0: Interesting. So I'm just thinking about the way I teach and I teach uh i try to teach quite a lot of um uh you know drawing your ribs in and down to make sure the TVA is active and to find um stability and strength in the movements that we're doing rather than dumping into our joints for example in a lunge you often see people um excessively overarching their uh, lumbar spine their lower back so i talk about the ribs drawing in and down so so yeah Talk me through that for your point of view with that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you you get somebody to draw their ribs in and down, you're actually telling them that will make them activate their abs rather than their TVA because your TVA will be active no matter what. If you just breathe, your TVA is active. It's active constantly. And actually getting someone into a lunge um, and you, if you think they're overarching their back, I would just tell them to bring their chest forward and then they're going to not have such lordosis in their lumbar spine. But actually bringing someone into a lunge and having that um, a lordosis in their lower back, if it's not giving them any issues or pain, it's actually quite nice for getting ex- hip extension, which we lack a lot because we sit so much these days. Um, and particularly if someone is postnatal, um, they might be lacking in that um, hip extension and particularly trunk rotation. So encouraging a a, a nice uh, lunge just without drawing the ribs down, I would just say, I mean, unless you're seeing really excessive flaring, then I would just change the way that they're breathing and give them a purse lit exhale um, or a shh. Because then what that does is it activates the core as opposed to you telling them to bring their ribs down and activating their abs. Interesting. The other cue I use a lot,
0: I feel like I'm now getting a bit of a lesson. Um, the, the other cue I use a lot is drawing the, trying to draw the hip um, bone up towards the ribs, which then does, let's say in a lunge, does help with that hip extension. Yes. That, that's always a, yeah, I
1: love that cue. That is a really nice cue. I, I quite like um, cueing that kind of pull in the femur, like feel as if you're drawing that femur down in towards your pelvis. Because it's just giving that person that brain feedback more than anything, right into the joints. Yeah, I like that. That's a nice. That is a nice one. That is a nice one. But the the rib down one is going to make them activate their abs. Right.
0: So, uh, just going to like the some of the problems that you you see when you um, do these examinations. Um, firstly, like I know you've touched on a few of them, but I'd love you to go through um, kind of some of the common problems, but also how much these problems are from physical
1: and how much are from mental health. Uh, well, in terms of what I see in the clinic when I do internal exams.
0: Yeah. Or anything to do with, um, you know, what you do is, as, a, as a physio.
1: Um, so common problems are uh, prolapse I see quite a bit um, and obviously that's definitely physical um, it's a fascial thing um, it's a pressure thing generally not to do with whether you've got a weak or strong pelvic floor because I see people with really strong pelvic floors still having prolapse symptoms um, and prolapse symptoms are totally different from one person to the next and usually I just go on symptoms unless the prolapse is quite um, advanced, then that would need more kind of gynecological intervention. But if it's something that I know can be managed with some, uh, you know, changing of the pressure um, and loading slowly, um, usually I see that rehabbing really quite well. Um, And usually I would get, I do get gynees involved in terms of if they need a pessary. A pessary is a space occupying device that splints um, the organs back in place so that you've got a good kind of foundation to be working from in terms of doing your your exercises. Um, and for the most part, some, some women can take those pessaries out and feel um, quite good release relief after a course of treatment. So yeah, prolapse is one that I do see a lot. Um, I, do you know what I see a lot is is uh, leaking stress urinary incontinence um, is a, a major thing. And again, with stress urinary incontinence, it's to do with the pressure in the abdomen and the, whether the pelvic floor is able to manage that pressure. Um, and again, it's for the most part, I see it's the bre- people breathing wrong. That's the most thing that I see in clinic is people breathing not well. I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's not bad. Again, it's just something that your body has done to be able to keep you breathing. The most important thing that we do is breathe. And um, to keep you breathing, your body has learned a new strategy, but it might not be serving you very well. And so then when you're doing anything that is going to add extra stress or pressure to the abdomen, you you get what's called stress urinary incontinence. And I see that a lot. Um, And that's definitely a physical thing. I'm trying to think. Uh, I see a lot of diastasis and I would say that was more of a mindset thing. And I think at the moment, me and like all of my pelvic health colleagues, um, we work with diastasis and we're talking more about the mental health side of things with that than anything. Because everyone has a diastasis. doesn't matter if you've had kids or not. Normal ranges are from 0.5 to 3.5 centimeters. That's without having kids. Um, and so diastasis is normal, but it is just something that has been hugely focused on for so long. And the way that society is with aesthetics and bodies, people that have a diastasis don't like the way it looks. Um, and for, for me, when it comes to physio and rehabbing, it's to do with what your body can manage, with the changes that have happened um, with pregnancy and birthing and postnatal, you know. Um, and so that is definitely a, a, mental, a mental health mindset thing more than anything um, in terms of what you see as opposed to what you can do. Just to explain
0: to people who don't know what that is, because I didn't know until oh, I did my yeah, sorry, um, yes. postnatal.
1: Yeah, diastasis—is uh, that what you mean, diastasis? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's so the down as I spoke about earlier, the way that our bodies, our, our, our torsos are linked together and allow for so much range of movement in our in our um, torso and our abdomen. Uh, there's lines of connective tissue that aren't muscle, and you have one that goes all the way from the base of your ribs down through your belly button and then to your pubic bone. And then you've got obviously the ones that cause that uh, ripply ab as well. They're just connective tissue and it's just all to allow that kind of different range of movement in our abdomen. And what happens if your abdomen gets larger and that doesn't only count for women that are having babies growing inside of them, Men can get this too, or people that haven't had babies can get this too for any reason. If your abdomen um grows, your abs have to stretch to um, allow for that um growth in size of the abdomen. Uh, and so that those connective tissues are there for a reason. They're to allow for that big stretch in the in the belly without. Um, tearing muscles essentially and so what happens is when they get to a point when they can't stretch over the abdomen anymore they just start to part ways in the middle so the linear alba essentially just stretches and stretches and stretches it doesn't tear it doesn't break it just stretches to allow for movement so it's there for a reason it happens for a reason but that connective tissue just thins as it stretches And so then if you, once the abdomen, the contents of the abdomen go back down again, so particularly postnatal, or you might see it in people that have larger abdomen because of weight gain, and then they have weight loss, they may have the exact same thing, um, where that um, connective tissue just doesn't have the tension anymore because it's been stretched, right? Um, And so it's what we look for is, what the body is able to do with that tension or lack of tension. And sometimes that tension doesn't come back again, but it's about modifying not only the mindset, but also what the what we expect of the body so that it can be functional and allow you to move and exercise and do whatever you're doing with weights or kids or whatever, um, and not give you any fallout in terms of pain anywhere in your body um so that's the diastasis
0: just going back to what you were saying about the breath because that is really interesting to me so are you talking about when people kind of um breathe short shallow breaths into their chest and they don't use their diaphragm they don't use that belly breath
1: Mm, yeah breathing is wow just the most incredible thing to me i'm learning so much about it and uh Uh, What I see a lot is people coming into clinic and I tell them to take, I tell everybody that I see to breathe, either send me videos of them breathing or I watch them breathe. And for the most part, people just breathe using their shoulders and that kind of upper part of their chest. Um, And of course their diaphragm is moving, but it's not moving as much as, as it probably should be and could be in terms of them filling up the base of the lungs and also in um, getting into that parasympathetic nervous system. So, you know, we're all walking around in uh, fight, flight, freeze constantly uh, because of the way that we're breathing, you know, and, and I say this a lot. We are the most comfortable humans ever to live on this planet. You know, we we're warm whenever we want to be, and um, We've got clothing, we've got shoes, we've got roofs over our heads, we've got comfy beds to sleep in and comfy chairs to sit in. But we're probably the most stressed and anxious ever um, recorded. And and we're walking around like that constantly without even knowing about it. Um, and I, I'm reading this, the mo- I've read the most incredible book, a couple of books actually, about homeostasis and listen to loads of podcasts about homeostasis and homeostasis is your body has a certain kind of way that it likes to work and for it to feel safe and the systems that are working in your body work in a range um, so that your brain can feel safe essentially and it likes to have that kind of homeostatic um, level constantly uh, so it knows where it's at and it doesn't feel threat. But what, and what, what, but what we're teaching our bodies by being in this constant fight, flight, freeze, like high stress level, anxious, um, is a kind of new homeostatic level, if you know what I mean. So we're changing the way that our body perceives threat. And so when there's actual threat, our body can't deal with it. Um, and we kind of walk around acting from this already high level of of threat and so we're not thinking logically and um it's yeah it's it's worrying and we don't even know that it's happening to us um and so breathing is the first and foremost thing that I get everybody to do when they come to me not only is it good for a bit of mindfulness and a bit of like looking inside and thinking about actually what's going on in your body but then it just lets that central nervous system ramp down a little bit. And if you're in pain and you're not breathing right, that pain is going to be worse. You're not going to get any learning. Your brain's not going to learn if you're breathing in this anxious state constantly because it's just trying to get you from one point to the next. And it is not going to think about learning a new task if you're constantly in the fight, flight, freeze. So that's why breathing is like number one, top, top, top always I love how you've explained all of that because I talk a lot
0: about the the breath and belly breaths in in yoga and fight and flight and rest and digest so uh yeah you've explained it in a really um
1: again really accessible way so that's really cool thanks for um going Uh, through that I do worry because it is really confusing and complicated but yeah I'm glad that it's easy to digest well and it's also something we all
0: can relate to you know so all
1: relate to and all have access to like imagine like you've got access to stop yourself feeling stressed like within minutes or not even that within seconds of you doing a nice deep belly breath and focusing on your breathing you're going to feel all much better immediately
0: yeah and I uh, like who well not necessarily who would have thought but there's the, it's just kind of cool to think that everything is so connected. Your breath is going to help the health of your pelvic floor. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so cool how it is all, is it all so
1: deeply intertwined and connected. It's so, it is so deeply intertwined and connected that it just gets a little bit like, whoa. When I look at people, I'm like, oh, wow, it's a lot to take in. Um, like where to start? Like, where do we start? And because um, it is, yeah, there's so much going on. And like, and that's why for me, when I'm doing my assessments now, I need time because I have to know absolutely everything that's gone in, in your life because it's going to have a huge impact on what is going on now. You know, I have to know everything, every minute detail. Um, so my assessments, particularly the talking part now are quite extensive um because I yeah I want to know everything you know fall that you had when you were five years old or something that happened in your life that was traumatic or you know because it all massively counts but it's
0: great that we're moving in that direction right that um you know more medical professionals are actually saying well what's actually going on in your life rather than it just be like um, something that is just assumed as a physical thing. People are taking much more note of, of yeah, the everyday stresses that we have and
1: um, seeing big changes when those things actually get addressed. Absolutely. Like it's a huge thing. And I think there's doctors all around the world that have been trying to get this out into the mainstream for years and years. There's one, one guy that I love called Gabor Mate, and he talks about stress and disease Um, And then there's a lot of new science coming out in terms of the pain, basically. And um, how you perceive something is going to change the way that you experience pain. Um, And so you can't just look at somebody with knee pain and think that you're going to get rid of that knee pain just with a few exercises and, you know, modifying their movement. You've got to modify the way that they perceive whatever it is that is going on in their body and in their life and their mental health. Um, And so I I really hope it does go that way. But unfortunately, the way that things are in our health system over here is that we don't have the time. And I know in terms of physiotherapy in the NHS, you know, you've got 20 minutes sometimes to see someone. You're not going to be able to unpick that much and you're never going to be able to get a full. uh, I I couldn't go back to doing that kind of thing in the NHS because I just would feel like I'm doing someone a total disservice by getting them in for 20 minutes, having a wiggle of their knee or whatever it is, and then letting them go with a few exercises. It's just, you're not going to get to the bottom of things at all. So yeah, working towards that.
0: Oh, Sarah, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Okay. I'm going to, I want to get through a few more questions. So (laughs) I often hear you talking about pooing and how the way we poo, it puts a lot of stress on the pelvic floor and, that they're, yeah, I'd love you to chat through how we should be pooing.
1: Yeah, sure. Let's, I what did, I made this thing and I was like, how to be a pro pooper. Um, Yeah, pooing is like been my, I think the reason why I got into this really is because my whole life I've had massive bowel issues. Ever since my mum said I was a baby, I was in and out of the doctors because she was like, look, this kid is doing these massive turds and it's really hurting her. And um, And then I grew up having these like bad bowel issues. And you know, like, Our bowels are our second brains. And I could go on for days and days and days about this subject because I'm totally obsessed with bowels as well. Um, And, you know, you can't discount what's going on in those either uh, and the way that that affects our mental health. And so, yeah, I've had this like massive issue with constipation my whole life. Um, Yeah. You know, they say that you've got a gut feeling. That's because your bowel has got its own nervous system and um, and so you hold a lot in your bowels that'll tell a massive story if you I like, always ask people about how their bowels are because it just tells you a lot about how somebody is and so getting good bowel health is really really important not only just the way that things move through you but also the way that things come out of you like so it's really important to think about the consistency of your poo and like is it sloppy is it too hard is it droplets or is it just right and the weirdest thing is that type four on the Bristol stool chart is the perfect poo. It's like long, like a snake, basically, is what it says. And number four is my lucky number ever since I was a kid. <laughs> so weird. And um, so I just feel like I'm totally obsessed with poo. <laughs> it's meant to be. This job and you and poo, all meant to be. <laughs> on the loo, um, and being calm, breathing, with your knees above your hips, so in your squatty position, is the best position for you to have a poo. Um, and breathing through it, if it's painful, don't strain, if it's painful or hard to pass. Think about your diet, what's going on, you getting enough water and you getting enough fruit and veg in your diet. Bowel massage, I do a lot of visceral work, I love the organs, I love, love, love the organs. And so visceral excuse me visceral work on the on the bowels is really nice because they just want to be listened to they just want to know that you're actually caring for them and not just chucking food in your gob and then running off to work you know they that's they don't work very well like that they need rest digest and thoughtfulness mindfulness good food and eating mindfully and just slowing down never eating on the go and and just definitely not straining so when When you're just sat with your feet on the floor, like a chair position on the toilet, your pelvic floor isn't in a good position to allow for that poo to come down the rectum because your pelvic floor essentially hooks around the rectum and pulls it towards your pubic bone so that it can sit in there when you don't need to go for a poo essentially and not um, come out your bomb hole. So if you're sitting on the loo with your knees up, what happens is it just changes the the rectal angle is what it's called. And it means that gravity can assist and the poo can come right out your um, bum hole without pushing on the pelvic floor. So if you are straining like I did for years and years and years and years, you're actually pushing that bearing down onto the pelvic floor as opposed to right over the anal uh, anus. Um, And so being in a good position on the loo is really important, and just having generally good bowel health. So, do you mean like lift your feet up, like put your feet on? Yeah, a but I put my feet on a basket that I use as a bin in my loo, or like get a couple of yoga blocks, or a couple of books, or a bin, turn it upside down, or a bucket, or something like that, whatever you've got. If you can't, if you don't want to get a squatty potty, you know the ones where the kids use to step up to go on onto the loo. Just get anything where you can put your feet up, um, where, where your knees are above your hips. And if you're out and about, what I like to do is lift both the loo seats up and climb onto the toilet because you know you don't want to be touching those loo seats. And then I properly squat over the loo if I'm if I'm going for a poo out, which happens all the time because I always poo at the most inappropriate times. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I so feel like that, that would just happen to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm just my bowels are so all over the gap. I'm not up here in the morning. and just doesn't happen. And so I'll be like out with my friends partying and be like, oh, God, I need a shit. They're like, yeah, of course you do, Sarah.
0: <laughs> okay, one right. more thing that I want to I wanna touch on. I hope I'm going to say this yep. word right. Can we talk about queefing?
1: Oh, queefing, Queen laquifa okay. Van Flatch, fanny farting. There we go, fanny <laughs> farting. Yeah, fanny farting. Wow, that's been like an, another obsession of mine. When I was younger, a friend of mine's sister, who's a GP, used to mess around and just fanny fart all the time. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then when around the same time I was in school, I got totally bullied about funny farting and I won't tell you the backstory but I got bullied about it quite in the open as well and so I was like right I am gonna do what my friend's sister did and make it my party trick and so I um, taught myself how to funny fart on cue um, and now like I'm, I want to try and teach people that it's totally normal um it's literally again it's about the pressure when you're upside down your pelvic floor has to work inverted essentially and so it deals with a lot of pressure um so if you're in down dog in a headstand handstand or in a shoulder stand in yoga is where i usually see it oh and I the good thing about that. shoulder stand in shoulder stand. yeah so have a look at your abs have a- when you're in shoulder stand have a look at your abs um and have a look at whether you're doming because you might just be over uh, recruiting uh, obliques and what happens is it just changes the pressure in your abdomen and then your pelvic floor um, can't manage that change in pressure and instead of leaking it does the other thing it'll suck air in and then blow it back out again and obviously because your pelvic floor is closed essentially most of the time it makes noise or whatever and um and so Yeah, it's again, it's a pressure management thing. And so it's if you are doing that, it's about slowly introducing that amount of pressure with breathing and activating TVA. And I would say lip breathing or making that sound might benefit you to get your core fascia a little bit more tensioned, essentially, so that your pelvic floor is not under too much pressure or stress.
0: That makes total sense because I often like hanging out in shoulder stand. I am I often don't do it with, um you know, recruiting much strength. So I do, when I look at my tummy, I can see
1: that doming. Yeah. So that's the most obvious thing. And then I tell people when they're in down dog, particularly three-legged dog, if you see doming, then it, you need to just slowly progress up to that with your breath, maybe do a few perslip breathing and get that tension back so that the pelvic floor's not having to work so hard. So give it a go and, and
0: let me know. Fascinating. I love that I now have, uh, have something to work on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you are amazing. I've loved to, chatting to you. I've had to like hold back laughing so many times so that the listeners aren't hearing me laugh through a lot of what you're saying, but I've just been giggling on the other end of this um, phone call. So thank you for making me smile a lot, especially about <laughs> a subject that's like as we've said can be so taboo can be so unspoken about there's a lot of shame around it um and yeah I hope I hope this really encourages people to get talking about it a little bit more and yeah I just I love what you're doing I'd love you just to say to people how they can find you and also um because you you mentioned at the beginning that you you're actually
1: doing virtual appointments so I'd love you to Mm. explain a little bit about that just before we yes go. sure so i'm on com w on the www um sarahparkerphysio.com and then sarahparkerphysio on instagram and then sarahparkerphysio at gmail.com if you want to email me with any questions um lots of people just de- dm me on on instagram if that's where you're at and with stuff Um, But have a look on my website, it talks about my virtual appointments. I'm basically, it's working really well. And I went to see someone for the first time face to face yesterday. um, And she said that she really appreciated the fact that I was still going um, throughout all of this. And and I didn't realise how much people did appreciate it um, because I thought no one would want it in this uh, crisis. Covid but, um, it's coming down really, really well. I just get people to send me videos of them doing things. I definitely don't do virtual internal examinations, um, but I can do everything else. And then yeah, we just do it over Zoom, um, and then I analyse the pictures and the videos that you that you send to me which is actually much better because then I can just watch them over and over and over and over and see exactly what's going on head to toe back to front side to side yeah so get in touch awesome thank
0: you so much Sarah this has been a real hoot thank you for having me I'm so glad you were giggling Oh, all the way through. All the way through. Thank you. And I hope we will collaborate in another way. I've just been starting to have like all these ideas as you were explaining your virtual thing. And yeah. So I'm sure we'll try and collaborate in some other way at some point, for sure. We'll speak soon.
1: Okay, bye. Thanks for having
0: me. <laughs> bye. A big thank you to Sarah for sharing so much of her wisdom and knowledge around a topic that can be really tricky for a lot of us. I love her mission and what she's doing in terms of making all of this just a little bit more accessible and a little bit more talked about and adding humor into yeah, such a fascinating and interesting topic that we should all be much, much more aware about. Thanks so much to you guys for listening to my Move and Inspire podcast. Stay tuned for more interviews with some incredible people in wellness. Let's aim together to find our inner strength and to keep searching for what it is that sets our souls on fire. If you haven't already subscribed, I would love for you guys to check out my membership channel, Move and Inspire, for yoga classes, meditations, health and wellness tips and recipes too. You get a free trial when you sign up www.sophiedear.com